you know, I'm, I'm going to have you uh, start in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 8. You know, we've kind of been talking about certain aspects of God. Uh, we talked about the omnis of God last week. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere present. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And those are amazing attributes, and uh, we talked briefly about uh, what all of those mean. But I want to talk a little bit more about the person of God and specifically who he is and what he is to us, ways he's revealed himself to us that are important and relevant that we know uh, about him if we're going to walk with him uh, faithfully and uh, walk with him in the anointing and power that he intends for us to. You know, the Gospel of John records seven I am statements by Jesus, and one of which we'll be addressing today. And when Jesus says, I am to us, you know, it, it's important that we really clue into that. When he says, I am to us, we better give it our full attention because each I am statement reveals his nature, his mission, and his heart. He's revealing something about God to us. And it's important that we pay close attention. The I am statements of Jesus that we'll address today, the particular one we'll address today, is found in John 8, verse 12 where he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am, everybody say, I am. I am. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, in the next chapter, John 9, verse 5, he says, he says this about himself, as long as I am in the world, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And we'll go into that and we'll build on this uh, throughout the message. But that's, I'm, I'm hoping to see some pads and pins. If you got a pad and pen, raise it for me. All right. All right, man, old school ain't dead. All right, I'm liking that. I'm liking that. It, and it doesn't have to be a pattern pin. You can have your electric device, your electronic device, your, your, your Apple device or your Droid device. You take notes that way. That, that is fine. But when the word of God goes forth, we all have a responsibility, right? We all have a responsibility to act on what we've heard, to do something with that word. God, our question should always be, God, what are you saying to me? What he's saying to you may not be exactly what he's saying to me, but his word is speaking. It's active. It's powerful. It is alive. And so let us position ourselves where God can have his full say, have his full, the full expression of his will in our lives. And our attitude should be, I sit at the feet of Jesus. And I wait with bated breath for the words that, have, that, that, that are coming from my Lord and Savior. Are you hearing me? And so, I, so I, I strenuously encourage you to adopt that, um, you know, as if it were your final exam on one of your classes for the semester and you really got to pass this class that you've been struggling in or, or you're going to have to um, retake the class and it's going to put, put in jeopardy your graduating on time. You know, the kind of urgency that you would have then is the kind of urgency we should bring into the Word of God. So he says that he is the light of the world. And I want to turn your attention real quick, and I hope I gave this to y'all, Hebrews 1, 
verses 1 through 3. I intended to send a a second addendum out. Uh, It's not their fault if they don't have it up there. But Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's a capital S, his son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And here is one that you should underline or bold, depending on how you're taking notes. He, this son, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. He is the exact imprint, the exact expression. That's why he said to Philip, when Philip said, show us the Father, he said, have I been so long with you and yet you still do not know me, Philip? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the exact expression, exact imprint of the Father. So when Jesus says, I am, he's also saying, God is. All right? And so today, he's, we're, we're addressing the fact that he says, I am the light of the world. And I thought I would, I thought I would build this up a little bit, just a little step by step by step. Jesus declares himself the light of the world. Let's back it up a little bit before Jesus began to preach. And we'll see what the word of God declares about him even before the world knows that he's arrived. Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 79, John's dad is prophesying over him about the role he's going to play in in relationship to the Messiah. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That statement is a prophetic word, a prophetic word that speaks of the Messiah as a sunrise whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So it speaks of Jesus that his, his very reason for coming, he is light, and he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. How many of you know that anyone who does not know the Lord is sitting in darkness? They may not realize it because the anointed cherub that covereth has deceived them. They cannot see the truth. That's why it's important for us to share the gospel so that they can see the light and have a chance to respond to the light. They can be drawn to the light out of the darkness in which they sit. But I, want to, but I also want to say this, darkness isn't just, it, darkness isn't just being lost. Darkness also means being under the thumb of Satan, under the thumb of sin, in bondage to sin. You and I were under the thumb of sin and death. We were under the thumb. We were under the dominion of Satan until Christ Jesus was revealed to us and we surrendered our hearts to him. And he saved us from the evil taskmaster that we were under. He he saved us from from the bondage of sin that we were under and redeemed us unto himself. Are you hearing me? That's the reason Jesus came. And so, and so John had it prophesied to him. He was going to prepare the way for the one who would come 
into our darkness and give light. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and 17 speaks this of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested. So we're fast forwarding here. When he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that's the prophet that spoke the prophecy, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see where those two verses link. Luke 1, 76 to 79, and Matthew 4, 12 to 17. When it was time for John to move out of the way, as, after he had paved the way, Jesus takes the baton and runs with it, and this prophecy is referenced because he is the bringer of light. He is light, and he's come to shine the light of his life, the light of the truth of God's word into the darkness, into the darkness that cannot overcome it. So when Jesus came preaching, teaching, ministering forgiveness and healing, he brought a great light into, the, into our darkness. Everything Jesus said and did illuminated what God was like. To observe Jesus and actively listen to his word is to gain revelation of who God is. What he's about. What his mission is. What his agenda is. What his character is. What his heart is toward us. If you want to know about God, if you want a picture of God, the you can't paint a more beautiful, you can't paint a more vivid, you can't paint a more descriptive picture of God than what is painted in the Bible. You can't paint a more vivid picture of what is demonstrated before us in the person of Christ Jesus. He is the perfect personification, the perfect expression of God. We can't see God but we see God, but we saw Jesus. And what we saw was an exact representation of God. If you want to know who God is and what he looks like, look at Jesus. So let's go back to John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to read that verse again, and then we're going to read the preceding verses for context because I want to draw attention, draw your attention to these two verses that are often used or referenced as, as a standalone verse. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's awesome. In and of itself, that's amazing. And that's enough to get uh, everybody to say amen and give a hallelujah shout and even, you know, uh, uh, even do a Holy Ghost dance. That's enough in and of itself. But he's revealing something in this because this verse comes right after the previous 11 verses. It's right. It's, it, it's connected. It follows a story that's relevant that speaks to us something about his heart and, and, and what he and, and what he's about. So I'm going to start in the second verse. Just to add a little context and we'll read into verse 12. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. 
the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? You know, she's a pawn. Right? You know, it's easy for us to vilify people in our heads. And so she's a filthy sinner. Right? So she doesn't have any value to us. So why wouldn't we do what we're about to do? We're going to take this, this filthy sinner and use her as a pawn to trip up this guy that's giving us problems. He's saying stuff that we don't agree with. How can we derail him? We'll take this person that doesn't really matter and we'll use her sad, unfortunate story to try and get him to say something or do something that will enable us to condemn him and, and, and stop and put a stop to what he's doing. So they come to him. This woman was guilty. She committed adultery. All right, so we're not really look viewing her as that much of a sympathetic character in this way. You know, she sinned. She didn't sin alone, but she sinned. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Here's what Moses' law says. Now, what do you say? This they said to test him. See, there was no virtue in what they did. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, so here he is, you know, don't let, don't let people rush you or put you on their timetable. You don't know what people's agendas are. You don't know, you know, th th these people, he wasn't in relationship with them. They come up here to him with a problem. And sometimes it can look like it is the best of intentions are going on here. You can see things on the surface. Okay, well, this is a problem as you presented it to me. Well, obviously, this is a solution. This is what I say. He wasn't quick. He didn't pressure. Notice it said they kept asking him. He's riding in the dirt. Maybe he's getting the Holy Spirit download. The hearts of these individuals being revealed for what they were and, and, and the situation being fully revealed for what it was, he waited and he spoke only as the Spirit led. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. At once, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And right after that, he says, I, to them who are still there, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in that, he reveals his heart for the sinner. He reveals that it is his, who he is. It is his nature to forgive. That it's not his heart to take the law and whack people over the head with it. It's not his law to take people and use them as pawns to advance an agenda. His law is to redeem the sinner. His law is to forgive. He's not, he doesn't just work hard to forgive. He is forgiveness. And remember, I am the light of the world. What does light do? Light illuminates. Light 
reveals. All right? So when the Pharisees brought this woman out, they were all operating in darkness. They were operating under the whim and schemes of the enemy. They may not have known it, but they were. They were under his thumb. And in the midst of all these evil dealings, Jesus comes and he reveals. He illuminates. The same God whose law you're using to try and get me to justify taking this woman's life, the same God who wrote that law, I'm revealing his heart to you. I'm revealing his nature to you. I'm revealing his real agenda. His agenda isn't to destroy. His agenda is to save, to redeem, to make whole again. I am the light of the world. Don't look at those guys over there. Look Look at me. I'm the exact representation of God. Are you hearing me? So that's one of the things he reveals. That's that's one of the things he illuminates. He doesn't answer their question. He asks, he, he makes a statement to them that proves their hypocrisy. Remember, scripture says that if you were guilty of any part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So if you broke any of the law, you were deserving of the full weight and condemnation of the law. So everybody there stood condemned and deserving of death if we're going to use the law. But they had an agenda, and he didn't play along with the agenda. Because he had his own agenda, and his agenda was God the Father's agenda. He's come to be the light of the world. And when God reveals himself to us, we need to pay close attention. Because just as Jesus was the exact representation of God the Father, we as Christians should be the representation of him. That's why we are, tro- that's why we are, uh, we are uh, exhorted to walk as children of light. Conduct yourself. Conduct yourself as he who is the light conducted himself so that you don't have to tell people or try to convince people verbally that you are who you are in him because they see it on you. They can read and see what Jesus did, then observe you and say, oh, yeah, she's she's one of them. Oh, yeah, he's one, too. I see it because they are showing me that they are Christians by how they conduct themselves. Um, Going on to chapter 9, remember 9 verse 5, he said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Let's read the first seven verses of chapter 9 and see what he reveals about himself too because when he said that, it was connected to another story involving a blind man. And it reads, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Man, we always got to have a reason, don't we? If something bad happens, oh, man, what, what, what did I do to deserve this karma? Did I, did I make God mad? It must have been when I had an attitude with that, with that girl at McDonald's. This must be why God is doing this to me. You know, our, whether or not we like what we're going through isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's a chastisement of God. It, it, it could be. It doesn't mean that you, you're getting your just desserts. As the old, as the old statement, uh, comment used to be, the old phrase. Jesus said, "In this life, you'll have troubles. Things are going to happen, and there is spiritual significance to, to to some of them. Maybe spiritual significance to many of them. But we 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 ought to not be too 
quick to label it one thing or the other. God has no problem revealing to us what we need to know in order for us to respond appropriately. God will reveal to us when God is dealing with us, he's not going to leave it a mystery. All right? But, but if there is any doubt, take it to God and go to him. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God, what is this? Are you saying something to me, God? Are you dealing with me in some way? Are you trying to get my attention? You know, continue to pray about that and let God speak to you on it. He's faithful. He will do it. But, but don't just be quick to say, okay, God, this dude was born blind. Whew. Or this guy's blind. Okay, who did it? It was either him or his parents. Somebody messed up. You know, it does not necessarily have to be the case. Somebody messed up. And Jesus, let's see what he answered. Jesus answered. Now, I don't know. I don't really understand the question. Part of the question. They asked him who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. He was born blind. How could he have sinned in a way that caused it? But we don't always ask the most sensible questions. But Anyway, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, God is an eternal God. And he therefore has an eternal perspective. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Right? And God's ways, the Bible says, are past finding out. He's operating on a level of wisdom and understanding that you and I can never attain to. Right? And we may ask, the, we ask a bunch of why questions that may not, we, we might not ever get the answer to. But this man was born blind and Jesus said, hey, this all was part of God's plan. It wasn't due to sin by this man or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so, in other words, he, now God reveals himself as healer. The works of God might be displayed. Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He went about healing, delivering people from demon possession, open blinded eyes, open the deaf ears, making the lame to walk, raising the dead. All of this revealing God is our healer. So he's a forgiver of our sins. And he heals all of our diseases, all of our conditions, including our sin condition. Are you hearing that? And so he comes in the middle of that darkness and illuminates these things. What he's saying goes beyond the words that he spoke in each of those individual verses. He's revealing something about his heart. He's revealing his heart toward us. He's revealing something about his, his character, what really matters to him. He's, he's, he's revealing something about his, his mission in the earth. He is the light of the world. Let's go back to John, well, John 12. John 12, verse 40, verses 46 to 48 say this. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So he's tying that. If you don't believe in Jesus, you remain in darkness. Not only are you lost in your sins and, and, and you're destined for, for an eternity in hell, 
but you're also under the thumb of the enemy. His wiles and schemes and, 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 and everything that he has he wants to target you with, you are vulnerable and subject to it because you have no authority and no ability to stand against it. We are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So that which we are too weak to do, we're too weak to stand against Satan, we are too weak to overcome him, we're too weak and unable to save ourselves. But Jesus isn't. Why was it important for him to come down from heaven and put on human flesh before ministering to us and dying for us on the cross? Well, He was fully God, but he also had to be fully man because as the representation of man, he needed needed to be the full representation of man in order to pay the sin debt of man so that we can be reconciled with God. But he came into the world as light so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. That Again, I'll say something I said earlier in this message. That is why it is critically important that the gospel be preached, that the gospel be shared. Jesus came as light, so whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. Any person still remaining in darkness should be an urgent motivation for us to share the light with them. They can't come to the light if the light isn't shown. If we put it under a bushel, then, then, then this salvation that we sing about, this salvation that we shout and praise about, this salvation that we love, which isn't just supposed to be ours, right? This salvation that we sing about is not noticeable. It's not visible. It's not seen. By those dwelling in darkness if we keep it under a bushel. That's why don't believe the lie that your faith is private. That you should keep it to yourself. No, no, it's who you are. It's who you are, right? And so don't allow fears imposed upon you by someone else to make you think that it is impolite or it is inappropriate for you to be open about your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we we shouldn't be trying to push it on people, but we shouldn't be ashamed of it either. People ought to know what drives us, what motivates us, what, what God has done to transform and change us. I once was this, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once had no hope, and now, praise God, I, but, but now Christ has come into my life, the hope of glory. I was once bound up in sin, whatever, held, whatever had us bound, we were bound up in it, but, but, but Jesus, our liberator, came and set us free. And all it took was for us to bow the knee and acknowledge. You can't, you know, you can't get saved unless you acknowledge that you're a sinner. In order to allow someone to help you get free, you have to first acknowledge that you're bound and need to be free. But I want to, God didn't tell you to save the world. That is the mission of the church globally, going through all the world and preach the gospel. But you're only responsible for who God brings your way. You're only responsible for 
the sphere of influence that you have with God. And if every one of us do our part, the church as a whole is operating across the globe according to God's will. And everyone will hear the gospel. And not everybody will receive it, but for all of those who will, they need to hear it. They need to see the light so that they can embrace it, grab hold of it, run to it, and thereby be saved. Be brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why Jesus came, so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. Uh, Ephesians 5 says this, verses 7 to 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. Notice it didn't say, at one time, you were in darkness. At one time, you were darkness darkness you know it's always as parents when our kids are in trouble and acting up and everything they're out there doing foolish stuff it's always the the crowd that's bad too often it's the crowd that's bad well your son or daughter is a part of that crowd if the crowd's bad and they're hanging out with it, doing bad things, when your son and daughter's bad too. Yo, your son and daughter were bad. They weren't caught up by people doing bad. No, they did bad too. Right? And so we need to realize that when we were in sin, we were totally free from the righteousness of God. We embodied sin. It's who we were. It's what our nature was. What does the Bible say about sinners, un un unregenerate man, you know, the, the, uh, or the flesh, or the carnal mind, you know, it, it, it resists the word of God. It's an enemy to the word of God. It's an enmity with it. Apart from Christ, we are enmity. Enemies of God. That's what makes it so beautiful. The cross, as ugly as it is, it's so beautiful because while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Revealing who he is, his heart for us. His character, while we were at enmity, enemies of his, he sent Jesus to die for us. But at one time, you were darkness. We weren't just good people in a bad world. We were darkness. We got to understand what we were if we're going to be able to see with wide open eyes and clear vision those who are still darkness. We need to see them as Christ sees them. Well, we got to see ourselves as we were before Christ and realize that people who don't know Christ, they don't know any better. Just like we didn't know any better. Which is why the sanctification process is so important because we come to Christ there's still some stuff we don't know any better. And, but now we belong to him. We've committed to leaving darkness and following the light. And now it's begun a process where he's going he's gonna to deal with the ways of darkness that are in our lives. And it's important that we allow him to do so. But at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Right? You're not only human, right? That song, I'm only human, flesh and blood I made, I'm only human, born to make mistakes. Yeah, you, you're not only human anymore. You belong to Christ. The spirit of the living God, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Right? You were darkness at one point, but you better embrace the fact that you are light now in Jesus Christ. You are light. And the devil might still try to tempt you to believe that you're something less than you are, but you got to know the word of God, and you are what God says you are. You are light 
in the world. Let your light so shine among men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, if you are light, the only thing that can dim your light is you. Because you've already overcome Satan through Christ Jesus. You've overcome the world. You're an overcomer in him. Amen? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. And then he just tells them, walk as children of light. Walk in what you are. This is what you are now. Walk that way. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That has to be our primary motivation. What is pleasing to the Lord? If we're going to walk into the walk in the light, then we're constantly walking and trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And as I start my descent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 26. Now, this is Paul who is before King Agrippa. There's a dialogue going on here and I know I gave y'all verses 12 to 18, but I'm just going to read verses 16 to 18. But Paul testifies what happened to him during his conversion experience, that he was on his way. He had a mandate, right? He was doing everything that he could on behalf of the authorities that sent him to extinguish this Christian influence. And while he was on his way to Damascus, he tells him about how his encounter with Christ. And, you know, in that question where he says, Paul, why do you persecute me? Why do you, why do you kick against the goats? Right? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he tells him, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And we get to verse 16. He says, but right, and he, now this is Paul giving testimony to King Agrippa, telling him about his experience with Jesus, his conversion experience. And, and he's saying of Jesus, that, of Jesus that Jesus told him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. And here we go. To whom? I'm sending you to those very people I delivered you from. To whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is our mission. The same mission that Paul was given is the mission that you and I have. It's the mission of the church today. If, you wanna, if you're looking for purpose, there's purpose for you in this verse. It's purpose for all of us. In here, I'm sending you, God, if you want to know, God, what are you saying to me? Here's what God is saying to you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to open the eyes of those who are in darkness. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Hey, we can talk about their sins all we want to, but God's heart is to bring them to a point to where they repent so he can forgive their sins. He don't want a bunch of Jonas around here wanting God to smite when it's his heart to forgive. Are you hearing me? 
But that's purpose. That's our purpose. And we need to embrace that and, and, be, and prayerfully consider and pray before God as to how he would have us carry it out. Because his mission, our attitude should be his mission is our mission. Hallelujah. And that really much, pretty much would be the last verse I share today. But, you know, in Revelations 21, it talks about the new Jerusalem. And one of the things that catches my eye when I read Revelations 21 it says that there is no need for the sun to shine. You don't need no sun or moon and so forth because the Lamb of God in the middle of that city is its light. The, the, the darkness never comes there. It's light all the time. The same one who lights up the new Jerusalem, the city of God, is the same one who is the light of the world. Right? And so he wants to bring that light into every heart here on earth. The devil, the anointed cherub that covered, the devil wants to keep blinding the eyes of those who don't know the Lord. He wants to keep them in bondage. But if we grab a hold of this, like Paul did, and recognize our purpose, our God-given purpose, is to take the light, the, the light of the life of Christ that we now have in us and to carry that light into darkness so that those who are dwelling in darkness and in the shadow of death can see that light and come to the Lord. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, you, the, the revival that we keep praying for and that we keep wanting, that, 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 that's, where, that's where it's at right there. Right? There are people in your school. There are people in your job. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your community, in, uh, whatever your influence is, that are walking in darkness. And, and we can keep addressing, you know, uh, fighting over sin after sin after sin, uh, which would be akin to going up to a fruit, uh, going up to a tree that's bearing bad fruit and, and keep plucking the bad fruit off, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. But Wasting our time picking off the bad fruit when we need to deal with the bad root. And, and if we brought light and let them know that Jesus Christ is life, in him is light. And we let that light shine, those who God has already prepared to receive will receive. And then you'll see the fruit, you'll see change as God begins to sanctify them, as God begins to transform them inside out the same thing he has done and continues to do in us so I would encourage you to remember what Jesus revealed about himself as the light of the world at least in these scriptures that I share with you today he said I'm the light of the world right after Redeeming a woman from the consequences of her sin. That's what our God is about. He's a forgiver. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. In context of a story, a situation in which he gave sight to a man that was born blind. Revealing himself as our healer. But how many people in this world that we live in? I'll bring it a little bit more micro. How many people in this country, this wonderful country that we live in? How many people in this state? How many people in this city? Are pining for forgiveness and healing. We have a Savior, the light of the world, who embodies both. And our purpose is to carry forward that same light that we've benefited from 
And let's minister with the same zeal. Let's minister it and issue it forth to those who are walking in darkness with the same zeal, with the same care, with the same love, with the same passion as our Lord and Savior did. I'm going to ask you to stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your beautiful people, Lord. Lord, we, we, I thank you for revealing yourself to us as the light of the world. Thank you, Lord, that your love was made manifest to us, that we recognize our need, our sin, in our need for a savior. And we saw in you a forgiver. We saw in you a healer. And Lord, we surrendered our hearts to you and went into your loving embrace. For you have saved us to the utmost. Our, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Father. But Lord, let us also feel challenged. Let us feel goaded on and urged. Let us feel the urgency to take what we know, what we've experienced, what we've benefited from and pour out ourselves in service of you. That the light of your love, the light of your life, the light of your forgiveness, the light of your healing, the light of your redemption can shine in and through us into the various spheres of community that you have given us. Lord Jesus, you say the field is white, it's ready for harvest. Pray, therefore, that you send forth laborers into the harvest. Father God, I pray that we are among those laborers. And in the glorious light of your gospel, that as your laborers, we will see untold multitudes come to salvation in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your calling on us all here, Lord. I thank you for your, your anointing, your gifting. Thank you for your grace. And I thank you for the harvest that is surely to come. As we walk in faithful obedience to you, be glorified and, and lifted up in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.